Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring progressive uh, professor Mark Casello, attorney and pro-Trump supporter Kent Gray, conservative commentator and pro-Trump supporter Stephanie Hitt, and Chicago Alderman and Democratic Ward Committeeman Raymond Lopez. Our program tonight coming to you on base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Happy uh, St. Patrick's Day a weekend to you all. And uh, uh, I say that in a city where normally uh, this is one of the big weekends of the year. The only thing I've been able to do is put my green sweater on. For those uh, listening to us on radio, Don't was, the brightness of this green doesn't come through the radio. But again, uh, this is usually a time when uh, the number of arrests for drunken uh, individuals, usually 20-somethings, uh, people throwing up in the streets, that's part of the weekend that we have here in Chicago. Uh, that has not happened. And uh, I, I want to just say why, because uh, given the coronavirus Governors around the United States, whether it is Governor Cuomo or Governor Newsom or, uh, or Governor DeWine in, in Ohio and, and Governor Pritzker today in Illinois, uh, they have all basically uh, jumped ahead of the curve, in many cases ahead of the curve, in doing things in their respective states that the federal government has not yet suggested or dictated. And again, just this afternoon, and again for those listening around the country, this is sort of a big deal because Illinois becomes the first state to make an announcement that they are going to close bars and restaurants. It's effective tomorrow. The announcement was made this afternoon by Democratic Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. I am ordering all bars and restaurants in the state of Illinois to close to the public as of the close of business Monday night, March 16th through March 30th. Ray Lopez, you are uh, an alderman in Chicago. You're also a Democratic Ward Committeeman. A little bit later on, we'll get into uh, Democratic politics. But again, the world really is focusing, and the country is rightfully focused on, on coronavirus and how it is affecting everyone's life. What's your reaction to the governor's decision today about closing all bars and restaurants in the city of Chicago or in the state of Illinois? You know, I think the governor's decision um, over the past few days, not only with closing bars and restaurants to dine-in customers, but also closing our schools as well, which he announced uh, a day or so ago, uh, is really in an effort to try and stem the amount of uh, uh, viral transmission between residents who are just walking around, going about their daily life. And if we have any hope of containing this virus and limiting its damage to our economy, we must act swiftly, we must act quickly. And I give... Our governor and many governors, great props for their leadership on this issue. Does it, does Stephanie Hitt, our, one of our card-carrying conservative Republicans, does it please you or are you dismayed that a lot of these bold decisions are being made by governors without the direct uh, suggestion of the President of the United States? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm glad that, um, you know, I... I prefer to have a decentralized government and our republic is set up in such a way that our states are really the ones that should be making these decisions. So the fact that it's being done on a local level, either the state or locality, is really the way it should be done. I don't want to live in a country where the federal government is going to be in the position of making those decisions across the board. 
Uh, Mark Casello, you are the closest thing to a progressive we have at the table here this evening. <laughs> I'm not taking anything away from uh, the alderman, but uh, you're pretty far out there. <laughs> yeah. Living in academia, as you as you do. Your your reaction to uh, to the way this is being handled at the moment, where the leadership uh, is coming from and should come from in the future. Uh, certainly, thank you for having me on, Bruce. Um, I'm excited and glad that uh, Governor Pritzker has taken that step. I've been following this very closely, as have many people. Um, you know, I had, I had told my students, I'm um, a professor, that we're basically a week away from where Italy was when they declared the lockdown with this exponential growth. So if we didn't take immediate steps to socially distance, to close businesses, to get people um, self-isolating, um, you know, we risk uh, an explosion of uh, cases. So I think it was uh, those dramatic steps uh, that were taken today are, are important, but also the public needs to know um, that as much as they can, they can stay home. And disagreeing slightly with Stephanie, I, I like the idea of localized response based on the conditions on the ground, but this is where the federal government could play an important role in ensuring that workers in the gig economy, workers uh, in the retail sector, have that paid leave so they can stay home mm -hmm. with their families, uh, you know, based on this pandemic. Yep, we're going to talk about the legislative response in a little bit. Uh, Kent Gray also joins us. Kent, nice to have you back with us. A lawyer from Springfield, Illinois, drove up to Chicago. Nice to uh, thank you for hope you had a pleasant drive today. Traffic was light. Great. It was light coming here from, and I live a block away. <laughs> but I tripped over no uh, drunk teenagers on the way. My question to you is, uh, you're the closest thing to a uh, an original Trumper that we have at the table. Uh, you've worked on the staff uh, for, you know, several years now. Um, can you step back and say that the leadership of some governors has been a welcome addition to what the government, the federal government, has been trying to do? Absolutely. And I think it's uh, I think we should support. I think some of the governors you know, around the country have now realized this is not a time to be taking pot shots at the federal government. A lot of these these we were talking before the program, a lot of these systems and procedures are longstanding at the federal government level with the CDC and the NIH. And frankly, it doesn't matter whether it's a Democratic governor or a Republican president or a Republican vice president. Most of these uh, leaders at that level do not know what the individual, say, testing requirements are or how you produce some of the things that go into quarantines. It's obviously something that only comes up when you have a pandemic, and we haven't had very many of those. And I think everybody's scrambling. And I think the last couple of days you've seen uh, elected leaders now realize, hey, we're all in this together. Uh, the governor of Washington has been much less political. The governor of New York has been uh, excellent. Governor Pritzker, I think, had a little bit of an outbreak uh, yesterday uh, towards the federal government dealing with uh, uh, O'Hare. But, you know, I was thinking about the O'Hare situation. Customs and Border Protection is dealing with a situation where they probably have people who are not coming into work because they're worried about their families. You've got an influx of a ton of people that are coming in. And you've got a realization that if everybody is there working every possible shift, they might all get sick, and then we have nobody there to process anybody. So I want to come back to uh, uh, when when criticism is is warranted, because you're right. Uh, Jay Inslee of Washington took took a pot shot at the, at the Trump administration. The president came back personally against the governor. But you're right. One of the things since we met last week is the Democratic governors. I mean, President Trump has reached out and, and thrown a bouquet to to Gavin Gavin Newsom in California. Uh, there was good conversation, and and Governor Cuomo referenced 
against that as well. And again, what you said today is that uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, when Governor Pritzker uh, saw what was happening at O'Hare, uh, he wanted to to vent a little bit, and so he vented in a tweet because he knew that's how he would get the attention of the president. Uh, he said the the federal government has got to get its s together, if you know what s means. And uh, he said on Meet the Press today that he got an angry call back from a White House staffer. But this afternoon, Governor Pritzker announced that there are going to be more Customs and Border people at, uh, at O'Hare. And so uh, the whole processing of this onslaught of European travelers, uh, Americans coming back from Europe, which is taking place right now at O'Hare as we do this program, is going to be better than it was you know, 24 hours ago. And so uh, that little uh, tweet uh, got to the president, and uh, maybe it did pay off. But the governors, it, it appears that uh, Democrats and Republicans appear to be getting together a little bit more back shortly from Chicago. Exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack. And we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Wherever you are listening or watching this program, we would be very interested in how uh, COVID-19 has affected your life or your reaction to the way whether your state government or federal government uh, is responding to it. And, uh, you know, we had a situation, uh, again, we don't want to talk too much about what's happening in Illinois, but again, it was big news that the bars and restaurants are going to be uh, closed uh, tomorrow, although uh, you're going to be able to take out food and have food delivered. But, right. uh, you know, the the, the impact... Uh, uh, now, Ray, in, in, in your ward, you said you have about uh, do you say two, a couple of hundred restaurants and or bars. Is that correct? 200 restaurants, bars, and particular small businesses. Yeah. How do they survive? Because I'm sure they're, if they haven't called you, they're going to be calling you tomorrow morning. Well, I think that's been the big question this whole time that this crisis has evolved is what are we going to do to support the business community? Because a lot of what we're asking them to do is to you know let their workers go home to be with their children, be on paid sick leave. And many of these smaller businesses don't have the cash flow to make that happen. So I'm glad that the federal government has kind of taken up this issue. I think they need to take it up a little further. Um, But that's definitely a concern because a a three-week quarantine of the city of Chicago can put many of my businesses Mm -hmm. into bankruptcy. Yeah. By the way, we should mention that the U.S. House... Uh, passed uh, legislation uh, last week, and some of the points in that uh, U.S. House uh, uh, legislation. Uh, this is now pending in the U.S. Senate, where there there's some observ- there may be some some problems with all of these points, but involves free COVID-19 testing for all Americans if they want it. There's two weeks paid sick leave. 
There's an increase in unemployment insurance. It'll, it'll extend the, the time period. And there is food assistance because one of the other issues which takes place in, in a lot of states because uh, California has shut down their schools, New York has shut down their schools, Illinois has shut down their schools as well, and that is that the... Uh, uh, the, the, many of the children who go to public schools, they're used to getting their breakfast and or lunch uh, at school. And if school is closed, where does that food come from? Because, again, the parents may not have it. They may have jobs. And uh, do you know anything about the specifics of how it's, that's going to be handled, uh, Ray? So, so I know at least in our city, in Chicago, that uh, Chicago public schools will be providing meals to families that want to come and pick them up. 95% of our students qualify for the federal food assistance program. So that means that this is probably their only source of food uh, during the day. So our schools will be open to help parents. Um, but I think what's important to note, too, when you talk about the expanded items that the federal government did, that it only qualifies for companies 500 employees or less. So if you are part of a bigger business, if you are a part of Walmart or, or one of those bigger stores or companies, you do not qualify for the extended paid leave. You don't qualify for this extended paid sick time. You are left at the behest of your company. Mm -hmm. I want to ask a political question to you, Kent. Uh, the pieces that were in the House passed bill, um, is the Republican Senate at this point, uh, is there a gun at their head that they really have to, they've got to capitulate to what the Democrats wants, want, or they once again will be perceived to be by the Democrats and their friends in the media as being the big bad guys that are keeping, uh, uh, you know, food from, from young children or uh, paychecks from uh, those who have lost their job? I think this is one of those situations that we found, you know, post 9-11, uh, post 2008 uh, financial crisis is uh, the Republicans clearly cannot put the kind of austerity in that they would like to from a policy standpoint. So they're going to have to swallow some provisions that they don't like. Um, and that is just a reality. I do think that they, they did walk back the House on a few things that they wanted to do that were outside of the policy of getting people back, you know, taking care of people on this thing. Are they going to stay firm on the payroll tax deduction? I think they waiver. really want to push. I think they really want to push that. And to be honest, I think that's a really it's a very targeted and effective way to get money back in people's paychecks every single week. And it's relatively simple to to put into place for employers and everyone else. One of the things that you know um, hasn't been talked about too much, and I think you know when we talk about what's in the bill, but then there's also you know a lot of it will depend on whether there are sun what they call sunset provisions mm -hmm. that these are you know temporary stop gaps so that we don't have um, representatives going out there saying hey I don't want something that's going to you know totally change the tax code or totally this and I think there is a a, a sense that you know, say within six months, for example, we'll know where we stand with the virus, we'll know the extent of the epidemic, we'll know the extent of the economic impact. And so these measures, you know, can be temporary for a while. So to the extent, I, I do get the feeling that the Senate isn't going to be too stingy either. Because, the, I mean, these are common sense type of resolutions. I think we would all say at least two, you know, if we talk about two weeks as a typical quarantine time, then having a sick paid leave that matches that isn't, is not un, un you know, and Republicans a, voted for it. And Republicans yeah. voted for it overwhelmingly. I think, I think you're going to see a lot of cooperation here. Do you agree with that, uh, Mark? Well, is the, this an opportunity to show uh, Republicans in a different light? Well, I, I think this is a time of bipartisanship. 
Um, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg here. We don't really know what's coming. So these initial first steps are, are good. But um, the WHO has stated that the, the real cycle on this is two weeks from onset of symptoms to eight weeks to the determination to the end. So we're talking about really an, an eight-week cycle um, for, for many people who are going to uh, have this virus. But when some of the uh, governors, I like uh, the, uh, the Governor Pritzker position, that's, a, that's the end of March. That's only a couple of weeks away. And I think some of the things in California, I think, were the end of April. I mean, so you have governors making different decisions as to when their schools will be closed. But is everybody just guessing as to what the, what the right time is? Yeah, it sure seems that way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're basing it on what they're seeing in Europe, probably. You know, like what the cycle time is in Europe. Well, they're they're seeing the horror story in Italy. They don't want to repeat that. They are seeing that. And, and, you know, we're trying to do it with the idea. But the idea is we're we're making a guess saying we're doing this before we get to be Italy. Mm -hmm. So we don't know how flat of this curve we can make it. We're trying to do it, but without being so extreme that literally – we we stop. Right. right. Okay. Uh, so Mark. I was I was going to disagree, and I I, I think it's um, to say that within a week we could see an exponential growth of this, and two weeks certainly. Um, if we've looked at the exponential J curve on all of these uh, cases in in France, uh, Italy, Spain, um, Korea, if you just overlay those graphics, um, you can see that that uh, the trend trend line is very similar. So we have. You know, we've been gifted, really, with a lot of uh, foresight, uh, a chance to see what's coming our way. Um, and the question as to whether we've done enough will be borne out in the next week or two. Oh. Um, if we can see that, you know, they said we, we're beyond sort of f- flattening the curve. But if we can blunt it, um, that can, right. can uh, keep and we're, it. And well, but again, the, this is important, the, the, the speed with which this happens. Uh, and again, I'm coming back to Illinois statistics. Everyone knows that statistics obviously are different in different parts of the country. Uh, West Virginia uh, is the only state thus far that has no reported cases of COVID-19. But il- in Illinois... Moonshine. It, on wood. It, it, moonshine. <laughs> moonshine. That's, I saw a meme on it. It must be true. Okay. <laughs> What did you say? Did you say? In, oh, yeah, did okay. you say inbreeding? <laughs> I can say that because my family is from West Virginia. Okay, what did but you say? But thankfully, our, what did our, you say? our family tree Share it does with everybody, form. Stephanie. <laughs> I said it was ge- ge- <clears throat> keeping a closed genetic community. However, I don't want to rag on West Virginia. I am, you know, my oh, family is from West Virginia. They already will be calling you. Okay, <laughs> I, Stephanie, hit. My family is from there. I love you all, and um, but. But it, you know, we, one of the things that makes us a little different from Spain, Italy, is we, we're, you know, we're we're seeing it ahead of the time, mm-hmm. and so we are we are kind of groping around a little bit in the dark. But we do have the benefit of seeing where it could go, what it's doing, and those two or three weeks might be the difference for well, us. Well, I was mentioning that that first of all, in Illinois, it went on on March tenth. There were 19 reported cases, and uh, today there are 93 reported cases in Illinois. I mean, that's that's a big jump. It's, but zero deaths right now. But zero deaths at the moment. At the moment. And again, now now we're going to get in. Let, let, let's switch gears. In fact, uh, we do have some callers on the line. Let's bring them into the conversation. Let's go to Peggy. She's listening to us on WCGO, which is our flagship station in Evanston, Illinois. Go ahead, Peggy. Hi. I have some amazing news for you. You got to check a station called Relevant Radio. It's a Catholic radio station, yeah. And they have uh, they had a doctor, I think um, Philip Chen or something. Anyway, listen, they found a drug that will um, 
take care of the virus. Um, Who? It's a very, Who did? very effective drug. So I wanted to tell you that good news because maybe that will stop the panic because I went to the grocery store and like people were grabbing stuff off the shelves and, I mean, it was crazy. So there's a lot of really strange, bizarre behavior going on and a lot of stuff, like they said, that, you know, for young people, they'll get sick, they'll get over it, okay? It's the people that are, like, 60, 70, 80 years old. They are in real danger, and they found this drug. Why do you think China's uh, rate is going down? They're using this drug, okay? I don't know the What is the it. drug, Peggy? Because you've got everybody perplexed here. Uh, I, I haven't it's heard doc, Dr. Fauci reference this, so. See, CDC is, is checking it now, but, of course, they have to have has to be true blue and everything. Well, yeah, yeah. China can't wait. I mean, they had they took the drug and it, and their cases are going down. So, okay. All I can tell you is listen to relevant radio. It's something Sheila Logmigas Logminas. Okay, you know what I'm going to do? I thank you for your suggestion, Peggy. But well, I don't. You, you let know, me just, Peggy, listen, and I, and I mean, I mean this, I mean this in good spirit. So please take it in the spirit that I give it. I don't think we're going to find the answer to COVID nineteen by a phone caller calling in with referencing another radio show where she may have heard uh, the Listen answer, it and it's working in China. Listen I think yourself, okay? I, I will do it myself, but you know what? I want to hear it from Dr. Fauci, and I want to hear it from Dr. Redmond, and I want to hear it from Alex Azar, or I want to hear it from Mike Pence or the President of the United States. But thank you very much for offering your two cents. Uh, back shortly with more calls. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Okay, we are back, and by the way, I have my little uh, sample of a hand sanitizer, which uh, the folks at PNC Bank gave me. I'm going to pass it around. It's for all of our guests. So pass it around, Mark. Wash your hands. Fix your hands. We got to do it real. You got to. We don't have. You don't have to sing Happy Birthday when you're using this. I don't think. Anyway, uh, we have an interesting program this evening. I think we do. Uh, We'll find out whether you do. We've got callers on the line, but we also want to take a moment to let each of our guests introduce themselves and give you a little background on who they are and how they got here. We start with Stephanie Hitt. I'm Stephanie Hitt. I'm a conservative commentator and activist in Evanston, Illinois. And I am finding out with the latest band that I am going to have to learn how to cook very soon. So, Well, it's about um, time. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> Sorry, for your husband people. and your family. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> 
Ray Lopez. I'm Raymond Lopez, alderman of Chicago's 15th Ward and Southwest Side, um, dealing with a lot of the local issues, the impact of COVID and how we're all responding. Um, but unlike you, my husband does great cooking, so all I have to do is make sure I wash the dishes so we can keep cooking, uh, and we'll all get through this fine. Kent Gray, we go back a long time, my friend. It's nice to have you back on Beyond the Beltway. It's great to be back after a couple decades, I think. We're, I'm we're both sorry it's little, been that long. It's been a while. <laughs> but uh, Kent Gray, I am uh, an attorney in Springfield, Illinois, longtime political uh, activist, hack, uh, elected official, and was uh, Donald Trump's state director in Illinois and Missouri in the 2016 primaries. Are you continuing to do some advance work for his rallies around the country? I haven't done advance for a little while, but uh, I did the first two and a half years of the administration. I did uh, five continents and 26 states. Yeah, so oh. rallies and state visits, did the 75th anniversary. And you were not surprised what happened on Election Day in 2016? Uh, I was totally surprised. And I was, was in New York. I was in New York. Were there. I was in New York, and I was standing there at the rail, and I shook his hand, and I watched him come down, and I think Donald Trump was surprised that night, too. If you look at his face, um, I think he was surprised. But I'm not saying I don't think he could have that he wasn't going to win or he couldn't win it, but I was surprised that, that, that Hillary Clinton made some of the missteps that she made in the last month of yeah, that campaign. She made a lot. And Mark Casello, nice to have you with us again. Yes, I'm Mark Casello. I'm the Director of English and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph in nearby Whiting, Indiana, outside Chicago. And I'm the founder and president of the Pullman National Monument Preservation Society uh, on the Pullman National Monument on Chicago's South Side. And there's been a lot of movement on that in recent months, right? A lot, a lot, lot of, of activity. A lot of influx of money. You have a lot of investment in uh, restoring the uh, iconic clock tower of Pullman. If you've ever seen the movie Polar Express out there in the listening audience, uh, it's modeled after Pullman's clock tower. The train station uh, in the North Pole is modeled on the Pullman community. Of all the things that you, as a, as a young man, that you could have been involved in a philanthropic way and a nonprofit way, what was it about the Pullman Project that, that brought you to it? So uh, Pullman's a unique historic site because it brings <clears throat> together uh, many threads of American history. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in issues of, of labor rights, um, but uh, I've also, uh, I'm interested in industrial history, um, social history, uh, women's history, African-American history. So all those threads come together in Pullman because, uh, it, uh, well, some of my neighbors have said, it's where black and white history meet. You have the story of the Pullman Porters, uh, George Pullman as an entrepreneur, industrialist. So it's really the, uh, uh, a microcosm of American history. Um, on Mark, have, you, have you heard about the Robert Todd Lincoln train car that you're going to get? Absolutely. Have yes. you heard who found that? Um, no. Did, who found it's that? It's me. Wow. I can't so we'll talk, we will talk wow, after that's this. Great. What a great great but, but it's a fallout from doing advance for Judy Bar Topinka in 2000. When was that? Wow. Six? I don't even yeah. know. And we were trying to do a whistle stop tour, and I came across this car and got. Canadian National to donate to the state of Illinois and, that's and excellent. Oh, yes. wow. at Pullman. And my grandfather worked at Pullman. Wow, that's incredible. So that's Mark well, and I are going to be friends after this. Uh, I yeah. didn't think politically we would be, oh, yeah, but now we're going to be buddies be forever. <laughs> I, I think we have a podcast in yeah, the making here. I think you do. I think you're going to have to invite my husband for that one because he loves trains. Uh, let me mention, by the way, a couple of people are, are sending notes in. They say that one of the reasons that the rate has gone down in China is that they uh, they self-isolated. Uh, as you remember, Wuhan was, was shut down. 56 million people uh, were shut down. Uh, China has the ability to do that with the drop of a hat. And also there was clarification that Governor Gavin Newsom, he has recommended that the bars and restaurants in uh, California be shut down. He's not dictated that they could. However, San Francisco is shutting down its 
bars, not its restaurants. Uh, and that starts, I believe, tomorrow as well. And in Illinois, uh, tomorrow is the last day if you want to go out and uh, uh, dine uh, in public for a while. Let's go to Mike in Spokane, Washington. Mike, first of all, uh, you're listening to us on KXLY. That's in Spokane. Yes. Uh, that's in yes, eastern yes. Washington. But how are you uh, dealing with uh, the COVID-19 uh, problem in your state? Because uh, it's, it's sort of an epicenter for it. Well, it is. It is. Yeah. First of all, hey, St. Patrick's Day and wearing of the green. It is. We've had 40 deaths in Washington. Uh, those, most of those were in Kirkland, uh, as you know, near uh, Seattle Nursing mm-hmm. Home. Yeah. 40 deaths here in Spokane County. We've had uh, three confirmed uh, vi- coronaviruses, but no deaths. Um, so the schools are all closed here, uh, grade schools, high schools in Washington State. Um, the mood here in Spokane is apprehensive, but not not paralyzing. So we're we're positive we're going to keep on trucking here. But what I would like to bring up too, Bruce, is that why I think one gate that's left uh, open, and thank you for taking my call, is the uh, the homeless shelters, the homeless people, the po- low income people, and uh, they need testing as well to see where they're at and where we're at. You know, but the money shouldn't just go to the rich. No, but I, I guess a question that I would ask is, uh, uh, I want to ask Ray this. Ray, do you agree with, with Mike that this is a unique community, or are they, because of their lack of funds, are they less likely to have traveled to China and, and Italy and maybe not very susceptible? Well, I think if you're basing this this virus spreading simply based on travel, <coughs> the odds that a homeless person or someone of low income or someone with addictions that's on the street probably is not going to be coming in contact with the virus. However, as people make more of a a joke about this and they start disregarding what they say when they say stay home, like we've seen today, everyone was told stay home for St. Patrick's Day, but yet every bar is full. People are still walking around. You know, that is the most vulnerable population to try and address these issues with. And it would be a perfect breeding ground if the virus were to get into the homeless population and spread like wildfire because they still group together. They still come together in close quarters. They have very limited access to healthcare that can address even the most basic, let alone the coronavirus. And that would come back to haunt us later if we don't address and treat them as equally as we want everyone else to be treated. Now, when you say when, when, they, when they come together, do they come together in homeless shelters? Or if someone is out on the street, are they less likely because maybe the concentration of people would would not be as great as going to a shelter. Well, I'd say all of the above. I mean, you look at like Pacific Guard missions in Chicago where you have 150 yep. beds where everyone's in there. Right. Once that shelter closes for the day and everyone goes out, they all congregate in the same spaces. Or if the individuals congregating in the neighborhoods are in the same spaces, sharing food, sharing drinks, sharing whatever, you know, that kind of... Uh, person-to-person contact is ex- the exact opposite. I would be very interested yeah. in hearing from the home audience uh, whether or not uh, what their concerns are, not only for the homeless, right. but are there other populations that uh, that should be taken into consideration that you haven't heard much about? I'd, I'd be like interested. So it's 1-800-723-8289. Uh, Mike, thank you for your call. But Kent, your, 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 your point on, on, on the homeless situation. Well, I mean, it's a you know it's a tough situation, um, and you have I think you have the possibility. You know, one of those of us that grew up in the '80s and spent a lot of time watching the AIDS uh, virus 
uh, take mm -hmm. hold in the United States. And obviously, it's a much different medical world that we live in now. But intravenous drug users at the time were a, a common way of moving that virus had nothing to do with some of the underlying stuff. And you could have that situation going on again here. You know, you think about a, a soup kitchen where everybody's sharing the same, you know, and the same stuff. And then you have a lot of people that are volunteering there that have a pretty wide community disbursement. All of a sudden that can move very quickly into a, well, a larger yeah, the, area. The social distancing and the hygiene, you know, the very mm -hmm. things that are going to flatten this curve for us isn't necessarily a part of that community, and it's not even available to that right. community. Washing your hands is not an option Right, right exactly. Yeah, I, so. I, I just wanted to stress again, one thing that kind of gets overlooked, like uh, I've heard a lot of, you know, I'm a professor, so I hear sometimes students will say things like, well, I'm hearing that this is just like uh, influenza. It's not much different. A lot of people die from the flu, but we have to remember none of us have immunity. Um, there's no one in our population that has immunity to this, unlike influenza, where we have a variety of built-up immunity for different strains. So um, so if a population of homeless people were to become uh, infected and spread it, um, that could easily happen. And um, so I, I think getting information out there, how do you reach people? A lot of, they're talking about telemedicine. They're talking about get online. Uh, my parents are elderly. They don't have the internet. They don't get uh, online. Um, they're in, and you yeah. still read too much about people who think they have it and they go into a medical center without calling ahead. And probably the, right. the most important right. thing they're stressing is if you think you've got it, call your medical provider first so that they can arrange that everybody's safe when you get there. Because walking into a room full of folks, if you really do have it, is the most dangerous thing well, that you can do. It's interesting because we are getting a little bit of mixed messages in terms of um, who should be tested. Because we are hearing that mm -hmm. if you have mild symptoms, stay at home, call your doc doctor, you're not necessarily someone who are going to test. Um, and so you're hearing that message at the same time. We're still at a huge loss in terms of understanding how many people are actually exposed to this thing. So if, if, if say, half of the people aren't getting tested who may have it and they're staying home and self-quarantining and, and self-isolating, we may never have those full numbers. And those are the very people we don't necessarily want to waste tests on because they are mild symptoms, they are recovering and whatever. But then yeah. in another part, those we to get more knowledge... We almost need to get those guys to get tested. But we don't want them clogging up the emergency rooms either because they really don't right. need it. And also, uh, you know, the, the president or, or the uh, Dr. Fauci has said that a virus is 18 months at, you know, at least away. And people are saying that's too long. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the other viruses that never came back shortly. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy the right to know about technology, and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack, and we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. 
Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much. Before the break, I uh, I misspoke. I used the uh, the, the term. Uh, I should have used the term vaccines uh, instead of uh, viruses because uh, a lot of people are are now waiting uh, for eighteen months uh, when hopefully we will have a uh, a vaccine uh, for COVID nineteen. But again, we don't know that as a fact. And, and we don't know whether it's even going to return. I mean, uh, uh, the suggestion is there's a flu season that we, that we have been used to, but we don't know yet whether this season is going to come back. And if it does, does it mean no March Madness next year? Does it mean the same things that we're going through now are going to have to – is that sort of a, a, a life in America that we're going to have to get used to? And also we should remember that in 2002, SARS – um, they still don't have a vaccine. A vaccine. It's 18 years later. There is no HIV vaccine. That's 30 years later. So the vaccine, 12 to 18 months out, isn't a guarantee that we're going to have anything resolved at all. And uh, this person also said that uh, they would worry about the undocumented uh, communities who are afraid to come forward. Prison populations, homeless populations, because in many cases the homeless spend their time in libraries uh, and, and they, they interact with other people in libraries. So it isn't just the homeless person sitting on the street. It's acting, you know, acting in, in public buildings. So there's a lot of uh, – uh, there's, 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 there's just it's – a, it's a horrendous situation that we find ourselves in. And hopefully we can continue to have these discussions where we're talking about common sense and, and some compassion in addition to having our eye on public safety and not, not, not politicize it, right? And I think, you know, during the break, Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie and I were both talking about the other vulnerable population, which is our seniors, particularly seniors like in nursing homes, seniors in rehabilitation homes. I have two that are filled with 150 people each. And if that virus made its way in through a visitor you could decimate an entire building easily. And oftentimes those seniors, and particularly in low-income communities, don't necessarily have the immediate access to the health care that they need, might just shrug it off as cold or flu, um, and it will definitely hit them as well. Is there anything more? Uh, we have avoided the politics of it thus far, but uh, Kent, I do want to ask you, because there has been some criticism of the White House uh, that the that they were slow to react to this, even though the president was very quick to to, to uh, call out China and and stop all travel uh, to and from China. That that was viewed as a positive thing. That the the slowness or the conflicting comments about tests and when tests are available maybe have have, have created a. Uh, uh, a lack of confidence in the federal message, and uh, a lot of those people also thought that the president's Oval Office address was not was not a stellar performance. And uh, speak to whether there's some relevance and, and some importance and some reality to those criticisms. I mean, I think anytime you have a situation like this, no one gets it 100 percent right. Um, I think the White House has done a, a pretty phenomenal job of being transparent. They've really gotten their act together on messaging the last few weeks. I think one of the problems is, you know, you have these kind of reoccurring coronavirus, flu virus, uh, medical issues that come up about every two to four years uh, historically. And the question is, are they SARS? Are they MERS? Are they coronavirus? Are, you know, is it the Ebola? Ebola was going to wipe us out a few years ago. And so when you get into this, can you shut down the economy with no knowledge of how bad it might be 
the reality is you kind of have to wait to see how bad it might be before you make some of the decisions that some of these governors are now why, making. Why is this situation being handled differently than SARS or or, or other previous or H1N1. things? Or H1N1. Or H1N1. Why, why is it... Why is it different? It's a political yeah. year. From, Say again? It's a political year. I mean, we're no, in an election I, cycle, I and I think it's. I think there's a lot of attention being paid to it that wasn't paid to H1N1. Well, I think the – I'm sorry, but I think the yeah. po- politics was injected by the president, and I think that's where he mi- made some major missteps when you called the coronavirus a democratic hoax. Right. You know, no, that was still Ray, Ray, he did not say that. He did not say that. He said that Democrats were using it – as a hoax, like they did it. Other thing, yeah, so he was not saying he was not saying that the you, virus itself politici- was a hoax. But you've politicized this as just for gamesmanship. When, as we've seen, this was not about politics. This was 152,000 people today who've been infected across the globe. Almost 9,000 people have died from it across the globe. No Democrat, anybody has the ability to do that. And I think when he tried to use the politics of it at his rallies. That's where he made some serious missteps because if he had stayed above the fray, a lot of the questions about leadership, about how he's handling it, would have dissipated in the hopes of national unity around the crisis. Is there truth to that? Well, I feel. Truth to that. You know. uh, When he wears a Make America Great hat, when he's meeting at the CDC, again, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, I'm I'm going to say this, and and I've said this a lot about Donald Trump. There are a lot of ways that you can criticize the way he says something. He has his moments, his cringe. But at the end of the day, you have to sort of look at what he's actually doing and what he's done. And one of the things, and I have not heard a single Democrat come out and say, agree with Dr. Fauci as saying that the single most important thing that was done, and it was something he chose to do under great criticism, <clears throat> was to shut down um, flights from China, to shut down travel from China. And the only person that's actually out there saying that is Dr. Fauci. And I have yet to hear this president get credit. Now, we can get, I don't know that I want to spend today fighting about no. who's saying what. He gets credit for that. that. Uh, Mark Costello's got it. not getting enough. There'll be plenty of time to sign blame later, but um, you know, time is of the essence right now. Um, we've got whatever measures we put in place today, we won't know the effect of those for about at least 11 days is what the timeline shows. So um, yeah, it's not the time to politicize this or right. find blame, but we've lost valuable time. And we're almost, uh, you know, testing's great, but I think we're almost beyond the point of uh, testing. We're, we're, we're still ahead of Europe where Europe was at the same point. So, I mean, I think what we need to do is the more that things like the FDA finally lets go of regulations and lets people start doing things... And I think we gained valuable time with that Chinese... Uh, flight oh, yeah. interruption. I mean, it, it, you know, the, this is a give and take on a lot of different issues. But, but I, I think but that I will, was a huge. But I will say, as a Democrat, I don't think he went far enough with closing the borders because this could have been a perfect opportunity to recall all our citizens back and to contain our Americans here to inoculate us from everything else. When going we come on. back, we're going to talk about that. Ray Lopez say closing the borders. I want to talk about that. Ray, when we come back. <laughs> okay, oh, Ray. <laughs> I, think, I think I think we may we may start with that subject when we come back. We have lots of callers on the line. I thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. Also, in the next hour, we're going to be talking about transport, the transport problems of COVID nineteen. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanonorg help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light noise, and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. We begin hour number two of our broadcast this evening. Kent Gray is here. He is a supporter of uh, Donald Trump. He's uh, also an attorney. Uh, drove up to Chicago from Springfield. Stephanie Hitt is our other Republican this evening. She's a conservative commentator from beautiful Evanston, Illinois, and has a daughter in the Air Force Academy. And uh, actually is here tonight because... Uh, you couldn't go to the Air Force Academy because uh, exactly, I had to cancel my trip. It was, Chica- it was trip. supposed to be Chicago night. At, you know, where thanks to all the great Chicago restaurants and sports teams who donate tremendous amounts of food and sports jerseys to give the young cadets, you know, a little taste of home. Oh. Uh, it's the most popular night at the academy. Everybody wants to eat the okay. Chicago dogs and pizza. <laughs> um, so a shout out to everyone who supports it. We'll be doing it again in the fall. Okay. So. Uh, Anyone That's why you're with us tonight. To donate and uh, and the sports teams have been great. Um, right. Everyone loves a Cubs jersey. And uh, Ray, easy. I'm a oh, Cardinal. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> easy. 
I'm a Sox fan. He's a Cardinal jersey. We can now fight. A fight is broken out. In lieu of, in lieu of baseball, Another the fight. fans are still on, on edge. No, Democrat or Republican, but I draw the line at Cubs and Sox. <laughs> Ray Lopez also joins us. Uh, Ray is the uh, alderman and the ward committee, the Democratic ward committee of the 15th Ward. And uh, for those from around the country, uh, uh, give us some neighborhoods or even people in Chicago that, that might know either important landmarks that might be in sure. your ward. Uh, it's the southwest side of Chicago, the stockyards, like the Bright, uh, back, of the, back of the Yards neighborhood, historic Brighton Park community, West Englewood, Gage Park, a lot of the historic neighborhoods that basically intersect around 55th and Western, 47th Street and Western, high immigrant neighborhoods, always for generations, whether it was Italians, Lithuanians, now Mexican, as well as uh, Chinese, and a strong historic African-American population as well. Okay, and uh, Mark Casello also joins us uh, from the Kelly Med College of St. Joseph, also a professor, associate professor of English for many, many years. And uh, Ray, before the break, uh, you, sort of, you sort of startled <laughs> us when you said that maybe what the president should have done is maybe uh, you know clo- close the gates to other countries other than just uh, the ones that uh, you mentioned in in Europe last week. Uh, you kind of surprised us. Would that include Mexico? It would include everywhere. I think that if we were to have full grasp of the fact that this is a, a global pandemic, a global virus where we're getting attacked from all fronts, um, then it would have made great sense to me, and I think many people who I've talked about this with, to give every American a window to come home and say we are suspending all international flights in and out of this country so that we can at best keep the contagion that's here minimalized and prevent prevent any new virus contamination from making its way to our shores. Kent Gray, if if someone made that suggestion to President Trump, what do you think his reaction would have been? I, I think could, he probably would have been for it. And I think everybody around him would have said that he would have been eaten alive politically, especially if this turned out to be one of the previous viruses that were not as, as quite as, as bad as this one has been so he far. He already got a lot. I mean, the reaction when he shut down flights to China was pretty, I mean, yeah. you know, he was called everything that, you know, that you can imagine. and it, Starting it, with racist, which is yeah. the general Racist, thing xenophobic, you know. all of those things okay. that now, were said about his, you know, policies regarding Mexico were now being applied to that. And now it's turned out to be the best decision. Mark, would they, do you agree with that's how the opposition to the president would have made this reacted to this suggestion well the problem was early on um you know we there was a a movement to make this the chinese virus and right. to vilify chinese uh, americans asian well it is the chinese well, it's where it came from. Yeah, i don't so, think anybody I mean, was uh, vilifying them but it's from it's china it's where it's, it's from called, it's called facts but we have a pandemic at this point and so you know you don't want to have a segment of your society uh being uh you know, fear-mongering against a pet segment of our society. Um, it's not a segment of our society. It's a country in the world. Right, but there are Asian-Americans, I'm certain, uh, maybe they'll call in, who've experienced uh, incidents of discrimination and mistreatment I've, over the past I've heard in New York month. that is true. Certainly. Um, you know, it's sad but that want, there are ignorant people. I want to come back to Ray. Ray, Ray you, you made a very uh, dramatic comment. Now, my question uh, is if... Other, if you would have made that suggestion and you would have gotten coverage because of it, because of who you are and where you're coming from, would you acknowledge that many of your Hispanic colleagues, either here or elsewhere around the country, they would have come down on you 
for suggesting that Mexico be basically uh, uh, quarantined. Well, I think if I would have just said Mexico, then yes, I'd come off as being racist. But I think what I've said is that every country, everyone should not be allowed. No more international flights from anywhere from outside of the United States coming here. Including Canada. Including, including, yeah, I was going to say including Canada. Everywhere. All all international flights into and out of this country should be suspended. And I think if you make it about the fact that it is a global pandemic, that it is coming not just from China, not just from Europe, but it's, it's making its way all throughout the globe, and that we have to protect our own people here that are in this country that we need to address that. And, you know, I think that the problem, and this goes back to the perception about with the tweets and the MAGA hats and all of that, is that if you were just focused on the science, if you just focus on what we need to protect our country, if we just focus on what's truly important, that he could have actually made that pronouncement. And yes, there would have been people who obviously would have said it was a racially motivated or just Trumping Trump. And as your listeners know, I'm not a Trump fan. Nope. Um, but he would have been in the right. He would have had the moral high ground to make that argument uh, from the very beginning, especially now. And I think that if he were to tone down his the racial arguments and tell Kevin McCarthy to quit calling it the Chinese virus, whatever we disagree here, if you tone that down and focus on the good of the country, you still can make this argument that international flights into and out of this country need to be suspended. Well, you know, one of the things we talked about a little bit earlier was that, um, you know, this this virus over these last few weeks has really had sort of two phases. There was the original initial phase in, in January where it was the 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 Wuhan virus. People right. called it that. That's where it came from. And, uh, yep. But we're now, and, and we reacted by shutting down flights. And, and the focus at the time was really what's going on in Asia, the comings and goings there, and so on. What's interesting is this virus has taken a different, the, the reaction has taken a different pan as it has spread to Europe. So now we're like in phase two, as someone says, where now the virus is coming from Europe, from Italy, Spain, whoops, and, um, and these places. So, and I think with that, we've noticed that it's not really called Wuhan anymore. People aren't mentioning Wuhan. They aren't watching. Right. That I think just naturally, people are now calling it COVID nineteen, right. and and the and the the discussion now is really not about Asia. It's about Italy. Mm-hmm. It's about cruise ships. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you Spain, know, those, Spain, and, Spain, and Spain, Spain is right. now and, the next and France, one. right? In France. And uh, yeah, France, by so, the way, is also closed bars and restaurants. Right, and uh, you know that's um, <clears throat> you know that's I think. Our reactions and all that is 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 it's it's fluid, but I think it's also sort of reasonable given the stages that we're in. When we come I'd back, not okay. to have, I'd prefer not to have Italian citizens, Iranian citizens, Chinese citizens that are uh, had been exposed to it, or anybody from any other country that has lacks public health right. safety. I mean, that's it's an America first type mm-hmm. situation, but we've got to protect our citizens. Do you, do you think, this is a quick answer from you, uh, Kent, do you think we will get to the point within, let's say, the next three months that uh, it will be the whole, you know, that, that we will be shut down as a country? And well, we will not, not have people from Mexico or any other country? Coming well, I don't, the country? I don't Mexico doesn't seem to have much of a problem right now, so I hope it's not it's not shut down to, to anybody. Right. Right. If this this disease continues to increase by 30% every day, we will be at that situation. But A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cyndi Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. 
Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack. And we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for joining us. We're going to go to calls in just a moment, but I do want to ask uh, Ray because something else that's been happening is obviously uh, we have uh, primary elections uh, coming up uh, this Tuesday in Illinois and Ohio and uh, Florida and Arizona. Uh, but again, some uh, states, including Louisiana and Georgia, they have announced the cancellation of their upcoming uh, primaries. They were actually in a couple of weeks, but they pushed them back to May. And uh, there is a, tomorrow is an election day in Illinois. As, a, as an official uh, ward committeeman, uh, what are some of the election-related things that you might expect to see tomorrow, Ray, in your uh, ward? Well, I'm, I'm anticipating that we're going to see a diminished day of voting. Uh, early voting in the state of Illinois has been up, in Chicago has been up. Um, but I think this really highlights the need for us to change the way we hold elections uh, and possibly do something that I've been a long supporter of, which is automatic vote by mail, um, so that you can weather these kind of incidents without having to totally disrupt the electoral process. I could not imagine the dis disruption if this had happened in November during a presidential election mm -hmm. and everyone scrambling, the disenfranchisement, the fact that um, we're going to see whether or not our seniors actually come out to vote. Uh, out of fear of the, the coronavirus, and even in Chicago now forcing voters to stand on the outside, um, kind of like for occupancy reasons. That's a new thing. That's a new thing this year, um, as well as the fact that, you know, this year in the switch to make it more safe, uh, all of the polling locations have touch screens, and now we learn that the coronavirus is transmitted by, you know, particles touch. of the touch. So it's to, it's going to be yeah. a constant battle this cycle. Well, so we'll the, see. You know, a lot of a lot of polling places are in nursing homes. Well, all of them, most of them have be, been pulled. Yeah, yeah. Um, all those will have to be changed. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see over the next few weeks how uh, the Biden voters come out to seal this for Joe Biden. I think the the Bernie supporters just demographically. Younger. Are probably more. They're younger. I think they're probably a little, <laughs> a little more never, uh, never care kind of folks generally yeah. that I know. And and, <laughs> and you know they're the they're the folks that caused uh, J.B. Pritzker to close the That's bars right. and restaurants. Right. Yeah. So we know the establishment. We should mention, by the way, for those listening around the country, we announced at the beginning, uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker has announced that the bars and restaurants in Chicago are going to close uh, after business tomorrow. They will not be open on Tuesday. And uh, part of that was uh, he was really ticked off uh, in, a, in a Saturday afternoon press conference. He was, he was really ticked off because so many young people had come out and, and had been, were drinking uh, in bars all over the city, which is, that should not be news to anyone that lots of people come and drink starting at 10 o'clock in the morning in bars in Chicago. But uh, he was very upset about it yesterday. 
and he talked about it on Meet the Press today, and then it was, it was two or three hours after Meet the Press that he finally came out and said, okay, we're going to close the bars and we're going to close the right. restaurants. But he should not have been surprised that 20-somethings were, were well, not going to stop drinking because that, of their care for know, their his, grandparents. His anger, his personal anger at yeah. this situation shouldn't necessarily be what determines what's a very but extreme it was personal anger. decision. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Prohibition I doesn't work very well that. in Chicago. Yeah. No. There's a whole and bunch of weird doors being jimmied open oh, around the city I mean, tonight. I mean, oh, you, yes. You should never, I mean, closing <laughs> those businesses, yeah. closing those businesses should not be done lightly because that's exactly the industry, the businesses that are being hurt the most. And Chicago's and, number one industry is tourism. It, well, exactly. Yeah. Chicago for restaurants. And those are the, those are the kinds of businesses that can't recover. You know, the interesting like thing this. about, about life post 9-11 for those that went through it, is that the world stopped and then it slowly came back over a few weeks back into, and this has been a slow motion in the reverse. This has been a drawdown at various points, stair steps, you know, the governor's choice today, various governors. Um, this has been a stair stop. And basically this week is the, is the week that the world stopped, I think, from a, from in a lot of ways around the United States. And the question is, there probably isn't a president walking out and doing the first pitch at the World Series or a lot of these opening other stuff day. because there's not, opening day. There's, not the a point, there's not right. a point where this virus is going to be like, okay, everything's better now. We can all move forward. Right. Everything can open up on the same day, yeah. and, and we're finally done with it. This is going to be uh, a major issue for months and, right. and potentially years we as we know. spiral over. Yeah. Just because we're, over. we're slowing it down doesn't mean we're ending it. And just sort of like what China's – China's trying to decide is the more that they ramp back up to normalcy, at what point we'll be, they'll be like, nope, the virus is not gone. we got to go backwards again. So that's something that we really have to be very careful for a country. People are already talking about cancellations into the summer. And the danger of ramping up too early is that right. you might give the virus an opportunity to mutate, and then we have a whole new problem. Or revive, yeah, yeah. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Edward listening to us on WCGO in Chicago, Illinois, our flagship station. Go ahead, Edward. Yeah, good, good evening, everyone. So um, I was going to say that I thought it was a mistake for the uh, government to allow those planes to come in. Um, I think they should have been forced to stay over there, especially after what happened in 9-11. I mean, you, Bruce, were over there in Europe. Uh, you didn't exactly come back the same day or the no. next day. So I think that's something that should have been happening. And I got a text from... Well, the one, uh, the one thing I would say about it, because I, 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 I think you're right, is... Uh, the the president was sort of unclear when he gave his announcement that Americans would be coming home. He gave them a couple of days. I thought it was the end of end of the day yesterday. So yeah. a lot of people were coming back, but it, this seems to be something that either the government or uh, the airlines should have figured out that everybody was going to rush to get on the early planes. They could have limited the number of planes that were coming back as long as they let all the Americans know in Europe that you know they were you know they were going to be able to come back. Because again, what's happened in not only in uh, O'Hare Airport in Chicago, but around the country, the major airports, uh, they were all just uh, inundated uh, with people coming in, and there wasn't enough. And again, I think this is criticism of the federal government, which is what mm -hmm. Governor Pritzker was talking about. There were not enough people in place to process everybody getting off those planes. And I want to say, as someone who used to work in the airline industry, the federal government gets a report every day how many people are coming in. So they were well aware of how many people were going to walk through those doors at Customs, at O'Hare, at Dallas-Fort Worth. Their failure to plan 
is what caused the six-hour delays and panic. At Could the this have been done uh, in European soil or because, because the president didn't give our European allies a lot of notice that this was going to happen? Would they have been reluctant to cooperate if they had these tests at, at the airports? So what I, what I would have suggested, particularly for O'Hare, is the international terminal is a terminal all to itself. Right. What they should have done was close the terminal off only to those arriving and made sure that whether it was uh, immigration and border that does customs or if the military had to be involved as well to help facilitate, they should have been able to create a pathway for those individuals there, whether in, inside the terminal or in makeshift tents waiting to get through, but process them in a way that would contain it. I understand that uh, Dan Ronan, who is uh, Rowan, who is our guest, uh, coming up at uh, 8.30, uh, he is on the line right now. He joins us from Washington. Uh, he is a, a correspondent uh, for Transit Topics. But I understand you have breaking news that's happening right now, Dan. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, Bruce. The uh, Centers for Disease Control a short time ago announced that they are recommending, and the key word here is recommending, it's not an edict, it's a recommendation, that for the next eight weeks, there be no public gatherings of people in groups of larger than 50. So they're saying that we need to have a very, very concentrated, you know, time period, eight weeks here, where no gatherings of people larger than 50 is what the CDC recommendation is tonight that just came out a short time ago out of Atlanta, out of their office there. Well, well, we thank you for stay on the line. We thank you for that news because obviously uh, a 50 is a long way from 100 or 250 uh, uh, and even even 100 in some of the bars in Chicago. I mean, that is, I mean, the the, the number of people that are going to be uh, out of work or potentially out of work is is pretty uh, pretty rapid. Dan, we're going to bring you into the conversation now. You're a few minutes early, but uh, Dan Ronan, uh, he he. Uh, follows the the, the transport uh, industry and uh, let's take let's begin the conversation Dan about all of the, the ripple effect of everything that we've been discussing this evening uh, and and where those ripples lead when it comes to how do you, the, the supply chain that we use in the United States to get uh, the the medical and and food supplies that we will need well, it's a huge deal, Bruce, and to your guest as well. It is a huge deal because as we've seen over the last several days in grocery stores, you know, the store that I go to not far from my house was pretty busy. And indeed, you see these pictures that we've seen on social media where people are running out to buy, you know, the Charmin or Scott's Tissue by the box full. Well, all of that material has to come into those stores on trucks. And as a result of this, a story that I followed at uh, Transport Topics, Walmart and a number of major retailers are announcing that they're going to start limiting the hours of their stores that they're open. They'll be closing most of their Walmart stores or giant food stores here in the Washington, D.C. area. Harris Teeter will be another. They'll be closing them at 11 o'clock at night so that they'll have time on the overnight shift to bring people in to stock those stores, to make sure there are canned goods, to make sure that there's fruit, to make sure that there's things like paper towels. And that's a big deal. And, you know, the trucking industry, Bruce, moves about 70 percent of the items in this country. I just saw a story that just popped up on my phone a couple of minutes ago that said that Amazon is now starting to become a little bit worried that they are going to have some spot shortages in some of their fulfillment centers and that people who are expecting things to be delivered in a day or two, like we normally have gotten in this day of e-commerce, that instead it may take a little bit longer to stock stores. So the, the retailers, the people who are in this industry, are realizing that there's a potential problem out here, 
and they're trying to spread the supply chain out, lengthen it a little bit so that, you know, we don't have this, this huge crush like we saw this weekend. Give me a 15-second answer if you can. Do we know yet how many manufacturers of some of these core products, let's focus just on medical products, do we know how many of them are made in China and how much of that could be brought back to some uh, domestic uh, production? I don't know the exact answer about the percentages, but there is a lot. And already ports like Los Angeles and others have been reporting in the last month that their inbound freight has been down 20-25%. Okay. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. We're talking to Dan Ronan. He joins us from Washington, D.C. Our guests in Chicago, they continue. Back shortly with your calls. 1-800-723-8289. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, we're going to go back to uh, Dan Rohner and also take some calls. Uh, but but before we do, um, and uh, Dan is on the line uh, joining us as well, but uh, Mark Casello, you mentioned that once upon a time you worked for Walmart in a management capacity, and you had some other things to add about uh, the, uh, uh, the shelf life of things at Walmart. Sure. So um, on a very busy night at a busy Walmart, you might have – uh, three semis come in with about 52 pallets of merchandise on each semi. And then you need crew to unload those manually down a manual conveyor belt and then stock those shelves. At peak seasons like this, you might be receiving four trucks. And that merchandise is flowing from distribution centers that Walmart has throughout our communities. But um, what also happens is that... Um, those distribution centers are served by products coming from overseas. Much of Walmart's products, as you've seen, uh, are produced in China and elsewhere. And there's a four to six lead time on those goods coming from other countries. So if we deplete those supplies of those area distribution centers, we might see shortages for four to six weeks. And, I'm, and I, I speculate that Amazon might be facing a similar supply chain uh, difficulties. Tom, uh, describe for us, if you will, uh, because you represent an entire industry, uh, what is the communication process within that industry, and, and how much communication is there with, uh, with government officials uh, who may be uh, sharing their needs with you or uh, your needs with them? Um, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm not sure what you're asking me. but uh... Oh, you know what? Uh, I, I was going to Dan Ronan. Uh, Tom, are you there? Uh, my name's Tom. Okay, uh, uh, I was going back to Dan Ronan. Dan, are you there? Yes, Bruce. Yeah, that question was for you. Uh, uh, we're going to be on with Tom in just a moment, but hey, Tom. Uh, uh, let, let me repeat the question. Um, how much communication is going on between the industry that you represent and the federal government 
or state governments, and vice versa. Are they letting you know in advance some of the needs they're going to have, or are you sharing with them some of the concerns, uh, positive and or negative, that uh, you might have that they should know about in advance? Well, I think there's a lot of communication going on along between the two sides. Uh, the ATA, the American Trucking Associations, is uh, one of the biggest you know, associations in the country in terms of its uh, political strength and its uh, ability to get things, you know, to get in touch with folks at the White House. In our role at Transport Topics, Bruce, we're playing the role, you know, in the same role as you as a reporter. And while our publication is owned by ATA, uh, there, you know, we're hearing a lot that there's a lot of communication day in, almost on an hourly basis between officials at, uh, at the White House and the various other government agencies. Now, I understand that the CDC recommendations don't apply to businesses, schools, or universities. Is that correct? That's what I've just heard. Yeah, I was just in the break. I was looking for that information here on the web, and that is correct, that those those are exempt as far as the CDC recommendations. So it is a smaller subset, but it still is a rather large one indeed. Uh, let us uh, take another call. Let's go back to Tom, who was standing by in uh, Pennsylvania, listening to us on WPIC. Go ahead, Tom. You you have a question for us. I'm actually in the Youngstown, Ohio area. I, okay. You know, I've, I've got some, some comments to make about this, Bruce. First sure. of all, I, I think we substituted one mad, uh, March Madness for another March Madness. Yes. And that, you know, we've had uh, coronavirus, but I think more of an epidemic of chicken little virus. And I say that because there have been, as of yesterday, 58 deaths in this country. Now, we've had over 18,000 deaths from the regular flu as of the first part of February in this country. Uh, and, you know, what I'm getting at is that when you put it in perspective, and I can go through all the numbers, you, you, I'm sure you're familiar with it, uh, 61.8 million of swine, uh, people die, uh, got swine flu, 500,000 deaths worldwide. Uh, we're not, nowhere near that worldwide. I think your guest said 9,000. Uh, this is, you know, may well turn out to be a very expensive fire drill. It may, may dissipate on its own in April or May. And it's important because we're throwing all this money at it in terms of lost economy, which could lead to another major recession or depression. And many people die from stress-related illnesses yep. in terms of heart disease, uh, compromised immune system, and for that matter, murders and, and suicide in, in major economic poor situations. Now, the, the, the mixed feelings I have about this, though, uh, are that, number one, we ought to get uh, the press under control because they've been panicking since Trump got in there. And I think that's... Well, how do you get... How do you, I, I don't think you're going to get the press under control uh, because they, they like to... They, well, having standards. Uh, okay. Now, now, the other thing is that I think it's important. I think this has demonstrated to us. Number one, we do need to build, build the wall on the southern border. And secondly, that we need to spread all the concentration of production that we have in China to other countries and bring some of it back home, not only from the medical end of the, uh, <coughs> supply end of things, but also uh, parts for automobiles, computers. Okay, good. Tom, 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 that's a very good point, and I, w I want all of our guests, including Dan Rowan, uh, Rowan to, to, to comment on that. But I want to start with Mark Casello. Does this represent an opportunity where, in a bipartisan way, 
uh, Congress can get together with the Congress, House and Senate and come up with a plan that says buy America first or get a lot of these things that are manufactured around the world, bring them back to the United States or to countries close to the United States where we're not, you know, an ocean away from uh, and, and, and feeding, uh, you know, the, the, the beast in China. Um, I'd just like to step back to something Tom said at the outset, which was his concern about um, that this may be an overreaction. And um, uh, I have family and friends in, in Italy. Um, uh, two days ago, the, the fatality percentage among the known cases uh, in Italy was 7%. Um, and that's due to an overwhelming of the capacity of the health care uh, system. Um, we have a limited number of hospital beds in this country. We have a limited number of intensive care units. About 5% uh, of the people who uh, get the virus may need uh, that intensive care. And so the, the real danger here is if we, if we spike too early, um, the fatalities come from just a, a lack of uh, the ability to care. Right now, we, don't, we haven't overwhelmed that system. People are able to get treatment, and so we're able to keep the fatalities relatively low. But we can't promise that in a week or two if people don't begin to self-isolate and we don't take these uh, uh, measures seriously. Ray Lopez. Well, I think going back to what I said earlier about Closing our borders for travel is definitely a must, although I don't know if the wall would have helped because obviously Mexico is probably the most safest mm-hmm. country on the planet right, right now. They might start building um, They might. Keep us they might pay there, to keep yeah. us there, keep us out. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, looking at our infrastructure, uh, to Dan's point, finding ways to rebuild the Americans capa- America's capacity to be self-reliant. You know, this exposes that great weakness. It expo- This has exposed a lot of weaknesses in our system across the board. And even if this is a fire drill, we've, we're failing right now. And it, thank God it's a fire drill from that perspective. But I don't think it is. Well, and I, I, it's funny because I, I've been having these very same conversations with friends and family and so on. And that is that, you know, when you look at the just the, the, the absolute number of deaths in the country and, and taking out of that, you know, a significant number of them from one nursing home in Seattle, we're not talking big numbers. We aren't. It, it, you know, and so um, as tragic as those deaths are, it's it's not in the league right now as those of the flu. However, um, one of the things that I would have liked to have heard from the, you know, the pronouncements over this week from our federal government, government is, the, you know, looking to the future. Right. Right. And Projection. what are we doing to the to the the biomedical tech yep. departments? We should be developing, you know, our antibiotics here. We should be doing these things here. Why are we? Well, I think I think those are the discussions that need to be had. They they may not need to be had now. They might be started now. But I want to. We should do it now because I think that you know one of the things that I. But right now, everybody everybody is scared to death. In other words, I, I agree with you. Right. That that we should find other ways. I said this almost on on day one. Why are we waiting for anything? It, it talks yeah. talk about a national security problem. Right. We have a national security problem, but we're waiting, you know, for China to give us masks or or, or, or respirators. We should be we, doing that. We, we should right we should now be doing, be doing that doing now. Those but my now. question to you, uh, from a from a political standpoint, uh, 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 Kent, this seems to be a perfect issue for Donald Trump. Yeah. Who says that he wants to bring back, bring back, back uh, jobs to the United States yeah. and bring back manufacturing? This seems to be a perfect thing built for him. He was talking about this before this even happened, right? And you know, and some other folks have been too. There's a guy that did a um, uh, several books. Um, 
about accidental superpower and absent superpower. He has a new one out uh, mm-hmm. just recently. And he basically made a comment last week. He said, this is the future today because a lot of this manufacturing in China was already coming back on shore. And if it wasn't coming to the U.S., it was going to Mexico for some transport reasons and some tax reasons and some new NAFTA reasons and stuff like that. But we've got to look forward when, when the legislature is finally able to get moving on, on ways that we put this back together is we used to have back post-World War II uh, national defense uh, focus on industries. It might be steel, it might be aluminum, it might be things that we need to have, shipbuilding, that kind of thing. And we need to basically put in some things into, into law that says there's preference on biddings, for instance, for U.S. made on some of these antibiotics, on certain drugs, on things that we view as critical to the national security. And hopefully our leaders will work together in a bipartisan manner to put that uh, legislatively into place over the next few well, years. You, know, you ask why isn't Donald Trump sort of this is his – I think, you know, at some point we will – he got so now's he, not the time to he, do it. No, no, now's not the time. And he got reamed for, <clears throat> you know, what he did about closing the borders to China. So that, you know, he's in a way, I think we're seeing a little bit more mature Donald Trump because he's not using this as his platform right now. Well, it shouldn't be right now. When we come back, uh, Dan, I want to come back to you when we continue in our next segment. Because obviously, behind the trucking industry, there are a lot of truckers. There are rules and regulations put in place by the federal government as to when drivers can drive. And when we come back, I want to hear about the ramifications and the ripple effect of changing schedules for those that move America's products. Don't go away. Hang on just for a second, guys. I'm going to take that closer. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy the right to know about technology, and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack, and we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. I'm going through the uh, a mo- moment here when we talked about the uh, the recent uh, CDC recommendations uh, insofar as 50 people or more uh, for the next eight weeks, no, no gatherings of 50 or more. Uh, that does not apply to businesses, schools, universities, festivals, concerts, weddings. So that's a, that's a broad... Wow. So what's so the they, point? They haven't killed yeah, the wedding business. Much, so. Yeah. No, they've killed the wedding business. They've killed the wedding business. Funerals, yeah. All right, what do we do? Uh, by the way, let's go back to uh, Dan Ronan. Uh, Dan, are you still with us in D.C.? Yeah, of course. Very good. Uh, the question I asked is uh, there are all kinds of rules and regulations for those who drive our highways professionally. Uh, what, what impact or what changes will need to be made to move the products that may have to be moved in a very large and, and fast manner? Well, those changes are already taking place, Bruce. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, that's the Department of Transportation sub-agency that 
manages and regulates the trucking and the bus industry. It, they came down with a, a rule yesterday amending what's called the hours of service rule. This rule has been around since 1938, and it's got very specific rules about how long a truck driver can drive in a 14-hour period. So they've suspended several sections of that rule specifically as it relates, and I'm going to read this, drivers can will be allowed to carry these following items. It, we're talking about medical supplies, testing equipment, masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, food, and personnel. So if you're a truck driver and you're carrying any one of those items to and from, it doesn't matter where you're doing it, you will be exempt from the hours of service rule. So you could drive longer than 11 hours. Drivers are now allowed to drive 11 hours in a 14-hour window. So this will suspend that. It's parts 390 to 399 of the FMCSA rules. And the thinking is this will get more trucks on the road. This will get more equipment on the road. This will get more product to the stores and to the hospitals that really need these items. Will, it also, said, will it also possibly lead to more accidents? Right. You know, anything's possible. Uh, but you would hope that in this case, that drivers and their companies would be very smart in terms of managing their own situation, managing their fatigue, and being very careful about it. This emergency declaration has been used hundreds of times for hurricanes and for natural disasters. It was used uh, recently last summer when we had some hurricanes, as you know, along the East Coast. We had hurricanes on North Carolina, South Carolina. It was used there, but only for that region of the country. This is the first time that this rule has been suspended for all 50 states. So this has never been happened before in, since 1938 when this rule came in during the FDR administration. Are there other things that are being uh, planned by the transit industry that we have not yet discussed this evening? Reactions to this? I think that, as I said, we're looking at, you know, stores doing what they can do to try to mitigate uh, rushes like we've seen over the weekend. I think you're going to see the trucking companies, it's going to be all hands on deck here uh, if it's not already. I think you're going to see that's going to be the case in the next couple days. I think those particular trucking firms that specialize in carrying some of these things, and there are companies that specialize in just carrying certain specific items. And if they're in that particular uh, vertical, they're going to be moving items and they're going to be moving things as fast as, as they can to get them, whether it's to a, a hospital, whether it's uh, respirators or masks, whatever it is. I think you're going to see more of that. So I think, you know, the, the trucking industry always rises to the occasion. Uh, they're a lot like first responders. They're, mm-hmm. you know, the people that, uh, you know, are bringing the goods in, the bottled water, the pallets. They're bringing the things in after the hurricanes, after the big calamities. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see that same type of response. Could there also be, um, if, if you fill up uh, one of these semis with toilet paper or with bottled water or whatever the medical supply might be, is it possible that they would just be parked at uh, some location and people would make the purchases right then and there directly you know, from the good, truck? That's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I know that when you know FEMA does these things and they start to stage for hurricanes, they have staging areas 90, 100, 150 miles outside of the hurricane zone, and they're ready to go. So as soon as things you know, begin to get anywhere back to normal, they start to bring those things in. So there could be, uh, you know, this is done standard practice in, uh, in weather calamities. Right. We just want to make sure the president doesn't start throwing toilet paper rolls at people. <laughs> 
That would be a bad fo- bad photo op, right, I, Kent? I, I, bad people, photo op. People don't would it like be the that. First? I thought that was nice. I thought it was, I didn't have a problem with that one. By the way, I want to clarify something that I that I uh, information that I that I uh, misinformed everybody, and that is the uh, the limit on festivals, weddings, and concerts does include fifty. In other words, that is the limit, 50, uh, for the next eight weeks. I think I said that there was... But that's uh, a recommendation. Uh, right, it was a recommendation. A recommendation recommendation yeah. at the moment. Well, and you'll see some states probably and, adopt and, that and, yeah. and, and make that sense. Yeah. Dan, because this is, unlike, unlike a weather calamity, it is affecting the entire country, and we're looking at something that's not you know, maybe a month long, but maybe several months. What is this doing to employment opportunities in the trucking industry? And That's a great question. Because, you know, we now it's almost like we're going to have a transference of labor in this yes. country where the entertainment industry is going to find itself very much underemployed, you know. That's um, a great question. So, it's hard to become it's hard to become a truck driver, you know, you have to yeah, get a CDL. Exactly. It's hard to be but the industry already has a shortage right now of about 61,000 truck drivers. Uh, we have a tremendous turnover in the industry uh, because the trucking companies have been increasing pay and big handing out bonuses to keep and retain drivers. There's a lot of churn in the industry. But I think right now with, uh, you know, people maybe hunkering down and staying uh, in the jobs they're in. But as, uh, to your point, there's already short shortage, about 61,000 drivers. And the other thing is, is that the age of the driver pool it's it's older. Uh, it's oftentimes it's the second job for a person or a third person. Maybe they got into trucking after they were 35 or 40 years old in that case. We so, are, you know, you have a lot of older people who are driving it, people 50, 60, sometimes in their 70s driving, doing it well. But a lot of the, the trucking driving population is a little bit older, skews older. Dan, we've got to say a farewell to you. Uh, you are with uh, Transit Topics. Transport Topics. Uh, Transport Topics, and you're also and the host XM. and Sirius XM Channel 146. You do a, a regular show over there, and again, it's all things related to uh, transportation, things we've talked about, a native, uh, uh, certainly someone that spent a lot of time in Chicago. Dan, we thank you very much for being with thank us this Bruce. evening, and our thanks also to Mark Casello for joining us, Ray Lopez, we thank you, Stephanie Hitt, Kent Gray, we thank you all, our thanks to Hector Pacheco and Fritz Goldman for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. 
What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers count. GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.